0: Welcome to Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors. Hi, everyone. I'm Larry Wiesnack, co-president of Cowan Company, and welcome to our podcast. As always, I'm here with my good friend and former colleague, David Erickson, Senior Fellow at the Wharton Business School, and today I'm happy to say that we're once again joined by my partner, Grant Miller, Cowan's Head of Capital Markets. The three of us last sat down to discuss the state of the capital markets during the second quarter this year, and now as we begin the fourth quarter, we're ready to pick up the discussion with quite a lot to talk about. So David, once again, let me turn it over to you. Great. Thanks, Larry. When we started
1: the podcast back in February and again in June, I started with the question, where do you think we are now? And how are you advising companies to prepare for the near term? I'm going to
0: start with that same question now that we're sitting here in October. Larry, why don't you start? Sure. Well, I think that there is a significant change in the macro environment from where we were, say, in, in certainly in February and maybe versus June, we're just further along, which is we have to start with where we are relative to inflation. And interest rate environment, certainly if we're talking about here in the United States, and we're in February, it felt like, wow, the Fed's really behind, we're late, uh, the market's worried about it. I think now the market has priced in, as we just see, continuing to price in, that the Fed is, is very serious about getting ahead of the inflation story such that it does not become an endemic story of inflation. You know, so whether you believe we're behind or ahead, the market now understands the intention and we have significantly priced that in. Sure you'll get a, a situation where one week some news will come out a little bit hot and people worry that means they're going to have to, you know, go from one more 75 base point increase to whatever the the discussion is. But that change from will the Fed be serious to they are serious means That now, what the market's trying to understand and price in is when will inflation come down? And are we in a recession? And if we are, are we turning nine months from now? Right. Because the market is generally nine to 12 months ahead. So with that as the backdrop, I'd say, you know, from the market standpoint, it does feel as if while there's still you know a lot more work to be done, um, the market's trying to find the other side. So now let's take it to what does that mean for companies? I mean, for companies, we're now. 12 months into a very challenging capital markets for majority of companies. And as Grant could talk about, in areas like life sciences, we're like 24 months in because we started seeing the turn in life sciences, the beginning of 21, the downturn. Companies are now having to make decisions. And what are we preparing them for? What we're saying to them is you need to think about what is it like if you have another 12 months of a very choppy environment? What does it mean for if you're in a business that has significant cash needs right you may have to raise capital even though you don't like the environment but if you need the capital to survive you got to find a way to do it it means companies thinking about am i on offense or defense and i'll just leave it down for a second i think every company fits into and they have to determine are they prepared to take advantage of the dislocation and the volatility by being on offense because it's an opportunity for them to grow, get into other areas, buy weaker competitors, add products, or are they on the defensive side where they may have grown too much prior to the environment we're in and they've got to get more fit. they got to shed assets to make sure they can get through it. I don't think you can be in the middle. I really do believe you have to be on one side or the other. But anyway, Grant, let me kick it over to you.
2: Yeah, so I think that we're still really in the land of uncertainty. So in that environment, we're talking to our clients about is to be a ready stance. It's what we tell clients you know, all the time in all types of market environments, but today is particularly true. Where I think some of our clients may have been somewhat flat-footed, which is something that it wasn't necessarily ex- expecting, is that um, management teams may be ready, advisors and banks and lawyers may be ready, but I think there is, there, it goes a little bit deeper, particularly with regard to when stocks aren't in good places and you need to go raise capital, boards need to be prepared. To for for what things look like and where you really need to be able to go to, and there can be these windows of opportunity that do emerge. So we've seen some windows of enthusiasm for new for new capital coming in. Right. And so you need to be ready to go do it. So we saw half of the, for example, half the biotech deals this year happened in Q3. There was one week we did sixteen. There the market it was it had sixteen deals in the, in one week. We hadn't seen that in a year. And so being ready for those moments in time, if those those opportunities emerge, you need to be able to drive through them really efficiently. So let's
1: switch gears to the IPO market, um, because I guess we've had the quietest IPO market we've had since probably 2000. You know, for those companies that are hopefully looking for that turn in the IPO market and hopefully looking to go public, let's say in 2023. What are the characteristics when the IPO market does return? Do you expect to see characteristics in terms of those types of companies?
2: Maybe I'll start on, on this one. So I think that the the first thing that we are already seeing, and this is really this goes beyond just IPOs, but but I think it will be to be particularly true when we do see IPOs come back, which is to have to try to lay down a an, a kind of a, a, a carpet of success before you start to step on it, which means getting demand set up into the IPO. That can come from lots of sources. That can come from existings, which in the you know the, the largest area of IPOs of the last few years have been biotech. So that is certainly more standard in that in that realm. That is from other private participants that want to stretch to IPOs, test waters, et cetera. So the first thing is, is before we even get to the 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 characteristics of the company, it's a lot of process. And I do think when when you're in these situations, public or private, that is uncertain, process and execution actually really matters to be able to get things right. From, from the perspective of what types of companies um, and opportunities that will be at the leading edge, I think about IPOs in two very, very broad categories, relative IPOs and absolute IPOs. Relative ones are, are companies that you can make an easier analogy to something that's already public and trading and have a sense of value. So one is a little more relative to the other. The others are absolute IPOs. This is where there was so much enthusiasm over the last, last couple of years up until about a year ago, where new ideas were dominated, both the IPO market as, as well as um, SPAC mergers. And so in those absolute IPOs, and biotech fits into that category you know, quite nicely also, those are going to be, I think, on the on the other side of the first wave of of IPOs coming back because they won't have what the market seeks, predictability, no surprises please, hit the first quarter out of the gate. All those types of characteristics, I think will need to lead uh, us back to a healthy IPO market and then start to gain traction on some of what I I call those more absolute IPOs or these more new idea type type of opportunities. You know, you've seen, obviously, for those
1: companies that have gone through a merger with a SPAC, and there's been lots of them, obviously, in the last couple of years, unfortunately, like a lot of the IPOs, a lot of these companies are trading at $2, 3 $4. At the beginning of this year, I think there was estimated to be over a trillion dollars of dry powder available for investment in the private equity space. What's happening there? Because I'm just surprised, I guess, that there hasn't been some opportunities for, or at least some announcements of all, you know, some capital deployment from the private equity space into these types of companies. How are you starting to see that uh, emerge, I guess?
2: Well, so I guess I'll, I'll maybe take a step back and just talk about performance in general first because I think uh, David, that's part of your question. If you look at the last year or so, deal performance is something we track pretty carefully, has been negative really across the board. Existing public company follow-ons have been down over 50% from a year ago. I mean, that's a big number. That's not super surprising with the S&P being off over 20%, and then you're, you're, the companies you're, that we're doing deals for are you know, more high volatile in general. IPOs have been down, then of course, uh, which are very much linked Two SPACs, which are uh, our new company really formations and coming out of the gate. And so I look at them very similarly as, and I think we as a firm look at them as a class, IPOs and D-SPACs. And I think they're they're similar. And it goes back to what we were just talking about, which is that many of those companies were on the leading edge of new and really exciting opportunities in technology and industrials in areas that that kind of combine the two. And so there are interests that we're seeing building in some of those companies that have stocks that have really been beaten up, although the interest is still weighted towards those that have more predictability in their business and their business cycles. And so what we're seeing first is folks that, that are looking at pipe transactions going to these companies that are more highly negotiated that may be able to get some security basis of, in those transactions to have some backstop in terms of value to move forward. And, right. and, and Grant, by pipes, you're talking about for existing public companies
1: not to facilitate a de situation, correct? correct. Yeah, Yeah, that's like,
2: an important characteristic. In fact, now you mentioned it, the, um, one of the, the healthier parts of the SPAC work that we saw in some of the combinations that we're seeing now that are closing, getting announced and closing, lack that common stock pipe, which really in my estimation was really part of that healthy IPO-like dynamic. And so we do need to get back to it. And so the the rebuilding of some of these situations where they have low stock prices is to go back to basics, which is to find a clearing price for common stock investors to really want to, to come in and build those. And unfortunately, there were so many so fast that many of those situations are not well covered by the street. And so they're harder to to, to find those interesting situations. And by the street, I mean um, many DSPACs were sponsored by banks that don't have research for those companies or the capacity in banking. And so what we've done is we've tried to both partner with the the companies that we did work with as well as really look at some of the, what we think are the best of those those class of companies, and really almost re IPO them, and and really use that as an opportunity to onboard new clients. Since by the way, we're not doing a lot of that with IPOs because that market is dormant.
0: I, I think I think David, you know, the, what Grant just said actually echoes back to some earlier conversations we had in the series around the challenges for small cap companies in general. Right. Well, again, whether it's a, a D-SPAC business or whether it's an IPO that's down 70% because of the challenges in the market right now, those companies suffer from not enough support. They're often at a point where until they get enough you know sponsorship, they're trading in the low to mid hundred millions of dollars. And that is a challenging place to be in the. US public market. And so uh, I, I like you, I- I embedded in your question, anticipate, that we will see you know, a number of those businesses be very interesting to private equity for take privates or for mergers with other public companies to get more scale. So I do think that we're in an environment right now where like anything, in a, in a tough in a storm, you wanna tie the boats together. I think that you're gonna see a lot of these situations where subscale businesses uh, decide to get to larger scale, whether it be go private, and have the growth uh, managed there, or whether it be by merging with other public companies?
2: I think I was just about to, to talk about scale. I think you hit the nail on the head. What we're seeing is scale is so important right now. Boards are absolutely hyper-focused on it. And, what, and, and frankly, what does scale really mean, particularly for companies that are, that are not profitable yet? How big you need to be, how much capital do you really need? And from the investor side, what we're seeing is it used to be, oh, are you okay if we have 24 months of capital at hand? That answer is really no longer sufficient. What we're seeing is, give me a business plan. Let me, let me make sure I understand that we're giving you capital through significant proof of concept inflection points for a lot of these businesses that are that are high growth. And that has been, of course, a, a market change to where we were just a year ago. Well,
0: and Grant, I'll just give you the, maybe the analog. You know, Grant went through the 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 message for the high opportunity, high growth potential names, the flip side is for the cash flowing businesses in a difficult environment, inflation concerns, et cetera, scale means margin, right? And so the art, the look for scale is both on the aspirational side and on the cash flowing side, when you're in an environment where margins are under pressure. And so it's playing out across the universe.
1: All right. So we've talked a bit about the equity markets. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But let's let's flip gears or switch gears, excuse me, uh, in terms of because the debt markets have obviously gone through a lot of changes in the last couple of months as well. I mean, I guess we talked in June. And since that point, the Fed's raised twice, if not three times, if I'm not mistaken. Where is the debt market today? What types of deals are you seeing in the middle market sponsor back market?
2: So maybe I'll just start with a little bit of background before answering the specific question, which is the, the syndicated markets, except for a brief period in August, really have been shut. And so the expectation is when they when they come back, which of course they will, most folks do think that, you know, Fed rates will be around four by the end of the year, that we're going to be looking at leveraged loan rates of, you know, SOFR plus 500. Um, and so we're going to be looking at Eight nine percent type paper, and so that's challenging. Um, you couple that <clears throat> with what's happening at the banks. Q two, the large banks wrote off about one and a half billion dollars of commitments they had. That's I think anticipated not be you know so dissimilar for for Q three, and could be upwards of forty billion dollars of of paper that they're still trying to figure out what to do with. And so there's a there's a still a pretty big disconnect, and it does trickle down to you know, more of the, the middle market. And really where I'm going with this is is the, you know, the private lenders, you know, this is a little bit of what they've been waiting for in a large extent in terms of being able to take advantage of dislocated uh, markets. And so they've, they have been uh, been very active. Uh, ARIES, for example, w- had the most, one of their busiest quarters ever. They, they deployed nearly 15 billion of capital. Now they do have the option of Interesting secondary options, and so it's not just on the primary and you're trying to figure out what deals to back, but that is, you know, really the the where we I think we've been talking about this for a few quarters, coming into their kind of their sweet spot, which is their rates are higher and the sponsors that actually do like deals are going to have more equity in them, and so they're gonna they're gonna have a little bit of a better profile, and so all of that for those lenders actually is a has a you know pretty good backdrop to be able to, to look, it's certainly tighter and not easy. And so what where that what we've seen that in our business and looking at at the kind of middle market sponsor activity, is that we've had many more folks come to us looking for the debt advisory service to actually help sort a lot of that through and try to figure out where to go and how to actually put something together. Even just last week, we had a couple of situations where we had some banks start to to tail off, and we had to come in and really look for solutions in the in the private debt markets uh, to be able to help you know supplement those deals. But it doesn't mean that they they can't get done. In fact, if sponsors have uh, confidence in some of their deals will even make those those uh, financings attractive for those lenders. You talked a
1: little bit about the private debt markets. Let's let, let's kind of bridge on that theme a little bit, because again, back in June, you know, I was surprised at the types of conversations you were having across the board, whether it be debt or equity on the private side. Why don't you give an update of, of some of the types of transactions? And Again, I recognize the market's been pretty volatile over the last... Few weeks, you know, last couple of months, obviously. Give an update for some of the types of transactions that have been done that you've seen recently and what
2: do, what do you expect to see in the near term? Well, so just to just to finish off that, that was those comments are really more on the on the sponsor side and middle market sponsor side. I think that's what we're seeing and, and expect to see more of. And just to 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 round out on you know the non-equity pieces, there is still the well while well, tech has been um not a, a, a great place to be in the private markets recently, from the lending perspective, there's certainly are, lots of funds are looking for AAR lending opportunities. And so that still is there. And those can be way more interesting for companies, particularly if they're looking at raising more capital and trying to stay away from equity, that's an opportunity. Similarly, we're seeing a lot of that happening in healthcare as well, where that's been one of our busiest areas. And so some of our more established companies that actually have products or will have products soon are doing product-based debt financings, which we call synthetic royalty transactions, instead of going to the equity markets. And a lot of people like to talk about that's not you know dilutive and non-dilutive capital. You know, I, I think when you raise capital, it's going to be dilutive to something. You're just trying to find the most efficient piece that you're that you're diluting, um, either you know right. piece of the, of the product or otherwise. And so that those are. That's really what we're seeing a lot of. And then in the private uh, equity placement area, we, we are, have never seen so many inquiries. It doesn't mean that all that's going to get done because what, we're, what we need to see come through, although it's been certainly the busiest areas for us are in areas like in mobility in particular, where there's been a lot of, act, a lot of activity. We've, we've shown a lot and in, in software. But for those private equity deals that are more straight kind of Series C type, Series D, there is some valuation reset that we still need to see come through. Some of those large private equity folks and venture folks were uh, were pretty aggressive with the valuations, and they're likely to have to hold on to assets for longer because both the IPO markets aren't there, as well as strategic takeouts aren't as active. And so right. I do s- still see some of that that uh, yet to come.
1: Yeah, the monetization market for private equity obviously is slowed, just right. like every other market. So they're, they're clearly in a different situation than we were, you know six, nine months ago. So we haven't talked about M&A yet other than we talked a little bit about scale type transactions earlier. Are there areas out there that you're seeing more active conversations? What types of transactions are you seeing in, in the pipeline?
0: Maybe the best way to attack this is to separate out what we're seeing in the public market activity from the private market. And so I do think that there's- there. Just to clarify, Larry, we're talking public to public and private to private, or yeah, I guess what I'm saying out. is, uh, what we're seeing in the activity with private equity acquirers versus what we're seeing when it's a public company uh, doing the acquiring. You know, in the public market, I alluded to two of the themes earlier. It's there's a significant amount of attention being given to do I have the right set of assets for moving forward the next two, three, five years. So that leads to what I would refer to as fit and focus type of transactions, companies either spinning off assets or divisions, potentially swapping assets. So going through multiple steps of getting out of certain areas and getting bigger in others. So you'll see some of the active uh, you know, larger public companies that could do five or six deals over the next two years as they sell off divisions that aren't poor and then build up in places where it is core. But it's all about making sure that in that situation, this is my comment before, they wanna be on the offense around making sure as they come out the other side of what is an anticipated recession, I think by most of these companies, that they really have the right portfolio for the opportunity set. I think at the flip side of that in the public market are those, I'll refer to them as almost, if you would have thought about in the debt market years ago, fallen angels. Investment grade companies that became non-investment-grade. Here, this would be businesses that are, are not being valued properly by the public market. They're looking at either selling to larger public companies or going private. And that's where I think you asked the question earlier. I think we're going to see a bunch of that coming forward over the next six months. In the meantime, that's kind of what we see as the backlog in the future. What's getting done now, we see still an enormous amount of private market activity in the middle market. Of companies that are, I'll call them aspirational cash flow companies. They've got good cash flows. They they might even be seeing some weakness coming into their numbers because of what's happening with inflation, et cetera. But they're in areas where there's a long-term secular trend assisting them. That could be the anything involved with the near shoring of core activities from a you can think of it as national security or just national interest. But when you think about what's happening with core areas of our economy, that pre pandemic, we relied on the global chain, that chain's coming closer. So if you're a part of that, you're naturally seeing a active bid that goes into five, 10 years out. Those kind of companies, they've got to think about do I grow? How do I grow? If the business is there, logistics, anything around, Again, you know, supply chain delivery, core industrials, family-owned businesses there are saying, I probably don't have the capital to invest to keep growing, first sale to private equity. If it's already owned by private equity, either that private equity firm is looking to buy other assets to add to it, or it's going to sell from private equity firm one to private equity firm two. We're seeing a lot of that. Another thing is anything that touches the ESG sleeve has long-term trends on it, you know, in its favor, and we're seeing a lot of activity there. I mean, we, we're seeing activity both in the m side and in the capital raising side on every kind of alternative energy, including uh, nuclear fusion and, and things that five years ago we never would have thought would be discussed. But the act, what's gone on in Europe, what's happened here locally, the move away from hydrocarbons is changing things. And then the last piece I'd say is hydrocarbons still, for the first time in a long time, are back in terms of interest because... I do think the activity of the last two years, the events in Ukraine have reminded people that energy transition is not like ripping a bandaid off. It's a 20 to 40 year endeavor that we're going through. So we're still gonna need to be able to access hydrocarbons, but now we're seeing discussion of cleaner approach to it and you know carbon capture and things like that. And so there are still whole areas of, of the economy where there's a, a lot of interest in M&A activity in both the private and the public space.
2: The, the, maybe the only I would add that we're seeing that really crosses into more of the capital markets realm is there are, and it goes back to, to the comment I made about scale. There are a number of conversations that, that we're helping to facilitate that are looking at creating a scale situation from two or more existing companies. And then being able to finance that together is a lot more attractive. So that's a little bit of a triple indie, like it's it's. But that that is a lot of the conversation. <laughs> three management dreams, three boards. Yeah, that's. So that is but, we a have, we, but we have seen a lot of interest. Starting to see that. Okay, that's that's the way it's going to get done. And I think those that area in particular where we're seeing that traction is in the area for, that, that we call future health. And so a lot of the right. Uh, Tools and diagnostics and medtech and um, healthcare technology opportunities. Well, so uh, those are, and those are are really interesting situations. A little bit less so. There's been a lot of talk, for example, in in biotech and therapeutics in those areas. That is that is harder, for sure. Right. right.
0: Well, Grant, I think you bring up an interesting, interesting point. You talked about pipes earlier. This is where the growth of pipes as a strategic tool has really, I think, taken off over the last five to 10 years, such that um, we're historically, say 20 years ago, we would have thought of a pipe as, you know, someone needs capital, often there would be a net potentially negative taint attached to it. Now, you know, the pipe conversation on the equity side is no different than the private conversation around arranging debt for an M&A deal. So when you can have those private side conversations bring people over the wall you have the ability to consider the whole package such that a company that might be private could merge with a public company in ostensibly what do you want to call it, a reverse merger or just a merger it just depends on who the, the who the, the quote unquote larger player is but they can have the conversations with equity and debt investors to make sure that they can finance the new company that, that kind of cornucopia between private discussions from the capital markets with strategic m and we're seeing an increased interest in, and I, I would say one of the things fueling it is, companies that thought about doing a SPAC, under, learned about reverse mergers through that, understood the process, and now realize they could probably today do something similar, get public, and actually bring with it additional cash If they come together with an existing company that's public already. So we we expect to see more of that in the, the months to come. A lot of activity there.
1: We've talked about really the pullback in all markets across the board, just given what's been going on economically and Russia, Ukraine, and all the macro other issues that we have out there right now. But it also feels like, just by this conversation, it feels like there's a lot of things on the horizon that could impact activity. Whether that be the balance of the year or maybe the next few months, beyond that in early 23, how are you advising companies to plan for that possibility? And I think, Grant, you were saying earlier, be ready, be nimble. What else should companies be thinking about today, tomorrow, next week? So
0: I would I would just say that even for those who are playing offense. So we got I used the term before, you either have to be on the offense or defense. Make sure you know where you are. Even for those playing offense, plan for your worst case scenario, meaning you need to presume that whatever your best day plans are, they're not going to happen. So what would you do in that scenario? And that means be prepared to take price concessions if needed to get something done. Understand that you're no longer in a position where you can dictate to the market because there's such a strong bid. You have to accept Mr. Market and the message that Mr. Market is giving you. But if you go into it that way, I think you you can certainly navigate these waters, but you have to understand that. And that's where Grant's point about, you know, management teams, I think, are further along on this than some of the boards. And so a lot of our work on this in terms of advising companies is really working with the boards to understand, don't begin something you're not willing to finish. And that means, you know, it, it, it might have been, if something would have been down 10%, it might be down 20% to get it done now. But... If you need to get a financing done, or you need to buy a certain asset, whatever it is, you have to be more flexible. I well, think it, flexibility, number one piece.
2: Yeah. And I think that's uh, so, uh, I think 100% true. And the other piece is just particularly in the equity side, and, and the, still the busiest part of the market is biotech. What we've been seeing there is percentage of the market caps being sold increasing dramatically. And so the companies are maybe only two thirds the size they were from market perspective this time last year. Typically, you're seeing deals of fifteen to twenty percent of uh, dilution. We're seeing thirty to forty percent dilution on average. These are larger deals for smaller companies to get through, and that is, I think, ties really well kind of the analytical data from what Larry just saying.
1: I, I know we're nervous about the time, so I'm just going to finish with the, the last question that I've pointed to, I guess, again, in, in recent podcasts, which is despite all this doom and gloom in the markets, there, there's obviously quite a few bright spots out there. What, what is one or two that you guys have either observed in recent months or as you kind of look forward as to what, where you think there's going to be some opportunity?
2: I'm going to maybe talk about it from, a, from the buy side perspective a little bit, which is for a long time, deals were not working, meaning investors weren't making money. And when that happens, it's hard to break that cycle hard to get folks interested if, if they're going to find a place to make negative alpha that's not the game that has started to really change and so when we saw the this um th- you know these spikes of activity we saw deals starting to really work again and so finding the right level finding the right amount of capital making it safe to come into deals and that has started the the, the cycle of more investment now that was that was uh, some of August, a lot of September, a little bit jitter in, in October. So we're not all the way through it. The other piece that we've seen on the desk very specifically is that our at-the-market programs or ATMs, lots of block activity, real investors taking very large positions in companies um, through them. And for the why don't first you take, time- Grant, why don't you talk a little bit about the ATM?
1: Sure. What's been yeah. going on there?
2: Yeah, so this has been this has been an area of, uh, real growth for us and, and uh, across the street. We have over 100 programs right now. It's very quite standard for companies once they're now shelf eligible, if they're still in a loss-losing uh, position, to be able to have access to capital or they need it through an ATM. Many of our clients don't use them, and that can be the advice that we give. However, having that access when these moments come up are critical. And so we've seen many of our companies raise a quarter of capital just to get through an inflection point so they have a better opportunity to do a larger deal later. It's been, it's, we've had one of our most active quarters and selling off those programs and some of our largest blocks. And in particular, is the bright side of what we're seeing well heeled, long only uh, investors coming in and bidding for us for those programs. We haven't seen that in quite some time. So yeah, if, you, if you, you think about some optimism, like, the smartest, you know, smartest kids in the block are starting to, to you know, really take at a lot of our, uh, of those opportunities. I'll,
0: I'll, Larry, how I'll, about I'll, you besides I'll, the Jets? What's your, what's your right yeah, time? Exactly. We could talk about, that'll be uh, our next podcast can be about <laughs> uh, the playoff hopes for uh, the New York football teams. No, I think one that is a seminal moment and probably doesn't have anything to do with, you know, tomorrow or the next day. But I think we'll be looked back at three years, five years from now as a really important item that occurred in just the last week was uh, Elon Musk basically agreeing to stand by his definitive agreement to purchase uh, Twitter. I think that from a governance standpoint, a contract law standpoint, an investor standpoint, being able to rely on contracts is critical for the markets to function. That's true of the capital markets. It's true of M&A. This was as high profile as it gets. It was someone who often um, has found a way to do things his way. And realizing that you sign a contract, you have to actually follow through, I think will end up being very, very positive. Because the, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way where if the inverse were true, if he were able to have walked away from a definitive agreement, it would have called into question the underpinnings of not just the M&A market, but therefore what shareholders look for in protections when they are investing in companies. So, I think it's a real positive for, for the for the markets. With that, I think it's time to uh, bring the, the conversation to a close. Uh, David, once again, thank you so much for your preparation and for peppering us with questions. Uh, Grant, thanks for joining David and I today. I really enjoy having these conversations periodically and hopefully for the listener, um, it, it's informative and we look forward to the next time uh, when uh, we can talk about not just our forward look on the markets, but also uh, the picture in the football world. And Grant will always love to hear your view on the Yankee playoff opportunities. So,
2: uh, look, so the, um, you know, as two, bo- we have two Boston sports guys and one New York for Asian sports guy on this. <laughs> And so it's very focused on Northeast. I am surprised that the Patriots are one game behind the Jets at this point. It's had probably had, I don't know when the last time it's happened, Larry. I will um, make a side wager with you, however. The next time we're going to have this will likely be in the middle of the playoffs or something like that. Who's going to be ahead in the AFC East? Will it be the Patriots or the Jets? I'm sticking with my, my third string quarterback and the Patriots. Well, have, hope, have, listen, hope
0: springs eternal when you're a Jets fan. So we'll okay. take that bet and we'll we'll come back. It probably is not the most informed bet, but I'm willing to play with my heart. So anyway, emotional. Everyone, thank you everyone for participating and look forward to next time. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next episode of Cowan Insights.